The Blockbusters Podcast is proud to be a member of the Pod Bros Network. You can find us as well as other fantastic podcasts such as Pencil and Ink Review, Another Damn Trivia Show, and The Language of Bromance at podbros.com, as well as on most other fine podcasting services. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to share and enjoy the Blockbusters Podcast. Welcome to another episode of French Fried, our little experiment where we are trying to point out our idea that maybe Hollywood should shy away from sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel. I am Paul. I'm Brian. And today we have joining us a man you may have heard of if you follow our Twitter account because I have guested on his show and he is The Vern, the host of Film Pasture and the Cinema Recall podcast. So how are you doing, sir? Well, hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me around. I feel a day some relaxed. It's a good Sunday night. You know, I got myself a little drinking going on right now. <laughs> Hang out with some good pals of mine. Trying to talk some movies. I like it. Yeah. All right. Right there with you. Yeah. Happy to have you. <laughs> Happy beer. <laughs> All right. And in case you couldn't tell from what we said in the last French Fried episode and from what i've titled this french fried episode we are talking about the latest in the mission impossible Ooh. franchise which is mission dun, impossible dun, rogue nation and dun, uh, yes the, dun, the latest dun, not dun, to be in theaters all right how are we gonna do the whole <laughs> no. no, but I still keep so pumped up. Uh, so yes, obviously uh, this one—it's not going to be the last in the franchise because they have signed everyone on for the sixth one, which I believe is supposed to come out sometime next year. So I don't know if they started filming it yet or anything, but uh, there we go. Mm-hmm. There will be more from this franchise, despite what we may say tonight. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I, I think uh, first and foremost, get the, our social media stuff out of the way, and that is you can follow us on Facebook at Blockbusters, Instagram at Blockbusters, on Facebook dot com slash Blockbusters. You can email us blockbusterpodcast at gmail dot com, and our website is blockbusters dot dot com. And there we go. I didn't bother timing that one, and it was a little slower. But hey, uh, I would have. I guess if that was around eleven, twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah but hey, it's. You know, it's a little later. Um, you weren't trying for a record, so I'll let it no. slide. Yes, yeah, so I've actually had a fairly long weekend, so yeah. You would go faster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not going to hurt your average, Paul. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like and, the judges. We'll take out the high and the low. You're fine. Yes, yeah. and I am in charge of editing, so if I really, really want to. <laughs> Ooh, you evil bastard. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you also have to delete this conversation about us talking about it, so. Yeah. Yes, exactly, which is not exactly. <laughs> difficult to do but anyway uh, <laughs> all right so what we normally do at this point then is we talk about our history with the franchise so mm-hmm. who wants to go first um, you know I'll, go ahead guess guess first how about that is, is that okay i mean i don't want yeah, to tell anybody okay. here yes all right absolutely well i've been kind of a fan of i wouldn't say a huge fan but i do remember the first one very clearly I remember the trailer, the first one, where, you know, Tom Cruise jumps onto that train and the helicopter blade is close to his face. I'm like, all right, I'll check this movie out. So I do remember renting it at a Blockbuster video back when they still have video video stores. And I don't. <laughs> and I really just enjoyed the hell out of the whole movie. I, I, I never even seen episodes of the Mission Impossible TV show, but I do like the whole gain working together i feel like i'm gonna do a review of the first one i don't want to do that and then the second <laughs> one it was more like a bond movie you know tom cruise got the long hair he's on the he's on the big mountain you know uh it's very much a well it's kind of cool too the first one's directed by brian de palma the first one brian de palma 
Second one is uh, John Woo. So it has all the trademarks that you would see in a John Woo film. And the first one has certain trademarks you would see in a Brian De Palma feature. Um, I forget the third director. Um, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You hear me okay? Is that... oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I forgot the... Oh, uh, that was I know JJ. The four... JJ Abrams, JJ thank on. you. Yeah. Which was cool. They kind of do like a whole revenge plot with right there, you know, him trying to, you know, go after Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, I kind of like that a little bit of it, but it seemed to lose things. I think number four is the best one, the one that's directed by Brad Bird. Bob means that was the best one. And I think the fifth one here, it kind of sits, kind of right. It's a little better than two, not so much than three. It's like kind of sits between three and two. Yeah. I don't know. They're fun, you know. Tom Cruise <laughs> tried to get a certain st- Tom Cruise get into certain stunt elements of it. I enjoy it. Okay. Um, okay. Well, um, I'll go next. I believe. I mean, I I have been proved wrong in the past, and my memory is just quite faulty. But I believe I have seen Mission Impossible two, four, and five. So <laughs> I, I I believe I saw two in the cinema. I don't remember why, but I did. And then both four and five, I saw that it was just it was on Hulu, I think, and I just kind of put it on. So, Paul, you know, I know exactly why you saw Mission Impossible two in theaters because you saw the trailers of Tom Cruise on them or on them on top. You knew that it was directed by John Woo, who made Face Off, and you were hoping that Nick Cage would make a cameo appearance. Sure, let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> let's assume that that is the case. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I never saw the original, and to be perfectly honest, never had the inclination to do so. And I think some of my friends saw three, and they were so so on it. So again, I just I didn't feel the need to see it. And then four was just on at some point. So that's why I saw that. And then obviously saw this one specifically for the podcast. So uh, obviously we'll get into that. So Brian, what's your yeah. history with this? Um, so as far as the entire, I guess, franchise or canon of the show you want to talk about, um, I first remember seeing the TV series, obviously reruns. Uh, I'm not quite that old. Um, <laughs> I was watching in 66, I think it was. But they were on, uh, like, you know, TV in the afternoon, whatever, because, you know, there's not an original programming, so they just throw that on. Um, so I do remember watching a handful of episodes back then and kind of enjoying that. And then completely, you know, not in my mind, not thinking about it at all. Um, and then saw the first film probably a year after it came out. And that's it. <laughs> that's all I've seen up until about three hours ago. So, I I am not, I will admit I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, so I uh, avoid most of his projects if I can. Um, I did love Edge of Tomorrow, um, of course, remarketed as what Live I Repeat, but yeah, yeah, whatever you want to call it, I did like that one. Uh, yeah, so that's my experience with Mission Impossible movies. Uh, very little. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, well that is. Our history with it. So, without much further ado, because I'm sure there will be plenty ado about this, uh, let's get into it then. So, where do you think we should start with this film? We, I, we gotta start with the plane sequence, the very first sequence of the movie. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, but one other thing I, I did want to throw out right at the beginning. Uh, I don't know your uh, particular belief system, but uh, uh, myself and Brian are not Scientologists, and even <laughs> even if the word may pop up from time to time, we are not going to be going into that aspect at all. Um, for this podcast, it's not the time and place for that. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, have no fear. I did say I might call Tom Cruise a something something Scientologist, but hey, you know yeah. that's that's just out of hatefulness, not <laughs> just general yeah. hatefulness, not you know, not judging. Yeah, because I yeah. won't judge that in other arenas. But yeah, yes, have, have no fear. <laughs> this podcast will be for the most part Scientologist safe zone as it were, kind of, maybe not really. Okay, so, the plane sequence. I will say that I thought it looked quite good. Yeah. And I, I couldn't 
I couldn't see any real green screen effects that you do sometimes see even in high budget films. And uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy the opening. I thought it was a very good way to start off the film. But it would have been better if there was a voice saying, last time on Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, because yeah, um, I watched this on Amazon Prime. And so you could watch that with the like second screen x-ray. I don't know if anyone does that. But, you know, like you watch it on your iPad or, you know, you watch it on TV and then your iPad gives you like little updates. It says, oh, yes, this uh, takes off right after four ends. I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on from the get go. <laughs> but that's what they say, but not really. I don't remember anything about the bomb being let go or escaping and they have to do this thing back. I, I, I always thought the thing on the plane was a MacGuffin. They just have to get this thing off the plane because the bad guy has it. And that's all it really was for me. So even if you've never seen any of the other movies, you can still follow that, hey, there's this device on the plane, and the IMF team have to get it off the plane. Simple enough. And they can't. I think it was like uh, Simon Payne's character is trying a whole bunch of things. You know, he tries to disable the wheels. That's not working. And he tries to disable something else. That's not working. Vin Rames is like, oh, we're screwed, buddy. We don't know what to do. But then here comes Tom Cruise out of nowhere. Like some sort of do say dust its machina machine. Just coming through the <laughs> whirlwind. Using his powers of Scientology just to... Get onto that plane as fast as he can. And, oh no, the doors would open. And he needs, yeah, he needs the help right there. And for some reason, Simon Page with his little laptop is able to do all that stuff right there. It's like the magic control device. It's amazing. Yeah, he doesn't quite get the full Tom Cruise run on screen. No, right? no, we didn't. no. We, I think we see a little bit more of that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's like he's building up to it, but he doesn't quite get enough run oh. before. He oh gets no, I, I I built my Tom Cruise like checklist in my notes, and yeah, <laughs> he hits them all. So yeah, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> I have to ask you guys both this, all right? Both uh, Brian and Paul here, okay? Now, yeah. did you feel the beginning of this movie kind of re- resembled the first Charlie's Angels movie because that one was set on top of a plane? And it seemed to be a precursor. Like, the plot, the first, like, five minutes of MI5 doesn't really have much to do with the rest of the movie. I mean, it does that it doesn't. And that's why I kind of felt like the first five minutes of Charlie's Angels movie, you know, with Mitchie. Yeah, yeah, I honestly, I know I've seen it. I don't remember that. I just, I, yeah. yeah it, okay. it has been a little too long for me. I do recall there being something about it. Uh, but, uh, I just yeah. remember Tom Green. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow, okay. On a boat. That's all I remember, Tom Green on a boat. Tom Green on a boat. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. who's the other too? After he does at Okay, so he's hailed down to the plane. The plane goes up in the air. Uh, Salmon paid. I think it's Benji's character's name. Um, he finally gets the door open. Now, does he slam against the wall without getting much bruises on him? Because I found it very odd of how could he be hanging, being drained at 30 Gs and whatnot, and somehow be able to calmly slip inside the room, you know, where the inside the plane without getting baited up really bad. I mean, he should have at least had a broken arm. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he is basically just thrown inside and then kind of goes on, but it definitely this film suffers immensely from the hero paradox where like they can't get that hurt because then otherwise they can't do everything they need to do so oh yeah this is like fast and the furious like superhero level shit because that opening he gets banged around so hard in that plane he'd be dead immediately (laughs) 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 and many other times throughout the movie yeah yeah Uh, yeah, and we'll definitely touch on uh, one of those a little bit later. Uh, but oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's I'm very sure. much sure um, last action hero rules when it comes to these <laughs> sorts of films. And <laughs> does he strap himself to that bomb thing, to the, or whatever that device is that they have to get off the plane, does he strap himself to that and then eject that parcel off the plane with him attached to it? Uh, is that, does that is that just me, or does that seem really stupid to any of you? 
Uh, seems extremely stupid. (laughs) Yes, definitely stupid. (laughs) Because he's basically going down backward with a huge weight on the back of him. It just flies out of the plane. And then it just cuts to a credit sequence, a la James Bond. Unless you guys have any more through this. uh, Yeah, but I I thought that to be not odd. He just, you know, has himself strapped to this thing that just shoots him off the plane. Uh, It it definitely... It's the thing that so many people make fun of where you'll see someone in this scenario and it'll just be like oh my god how are we going to get out of this and then it's just a hard cut to them walking away just like oh i'm so glad we got out of that it's like that it looks cool but there's no feasible way that he could get out alive at the end and then they just don't bother to show how he got out alive at the end yeah we don't know exactly what happened to him then he just shoots off the plane with his big freaking heavy thing attached to him and he just flies out and then we just go right to a credit sequence yeah it it just i mean it one of many times where the film basically just wants you to completely get rid of your uh like any logic that you might have lying around you don't <laughs> need that for this film you uh, certainly do not no <laughs> yeah. well, here's uh, a cool thing too about that credit sequence that happens it's kind of funny that the credit sequence sort of like shows you what's going to happen in the movie during that little, you know, Mission Impossible has got the theme music playing, but it's like showing you clips of what you're about to see. And they did the same thing with the first Mission Impossible. They showed you clips of what's to come. Yeah, yeah I, although, I, although I did find it interesting because when it started doing that, I was thinking oh, no, don't do this, because now you're going to show something and you're going to be waiting for it throughout the entire thing. But if you actually pay attention to what they show you, all they show you are establishing shots. Like there's True. no action whatsoever that they show yeah. you. It's just the, the back of somebody and then the different locations that they end up in. And I was actually somewhat appreciative of that fact, because I thought it was going to be a trailer thing where you watch a trailer and you go well i know how to send now or i know that person makes it to the end or they show you a scene where you're just waiting for that bit in that scene and you're not paying any attention but uh, yeah it was uh, it, i i like that they went that route with it where they they kind of show you something without showing you anything yeah but i didn't have a problem with it i just thought it'd be Kind of, I almost wanted there to be like a, a 90s type theme song or using the Mission Impossible theme song, but I want to see pictures of the cast with their name by there, you know. And so I want to see, we, like, sorry, go ahead. No, that, yeah, I'm kind of busy with that. That's why I kind of want to see just like a whole like 80s like Mission Impossible theme and with like Tom Cruise and Simon Page and they all have a smile on their face. Cut to like sequences of action. You, you mean the, the thing where it's like, they all act as if, oh, didn't see you there, type thing. <laughs> yes, like, oh, like very laughing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that would have been cool. Um, I don't think they're ever going to go that route with it, unfortunately. <laughs> and yeah, it kind of makes me want to see the original TV show, because I've not seen any of, any of those. It's really good, it's really different. Um, at least okay. from the two Mission Impossible movies I've seen. Well, I say really different. I mean, it's a much, obviously a much slower pace, obviously a much smaller budget. <laughs> um, so you have to keep that in mind. But that is where the syndicate originated. So okay, uh, the syndicate was the main, or they were the main baddies of the uh, TV show. So, so, yeah. so they, they were constantly in the background type thing? Uh, I, I I don't know if they were like a part of every episode or everything, but they were like an over overall like kind of arching kind of storyline that the syndicates you know existed and yeah. were kind of you know pulling strings and things. So yeah. yeah, the the one thing I don't remember which film came out first, this one or Spectre? Spectre. Uh, uh, I ooh, it's a good. One. I think Spectre came out after this one. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it. It's definitely one of those things where I think it's also, I mean, it could just be because the series themselves are kind of similar, but it's it could be one of those things where within a year you see multiple big budget films that have been in production for years that are about the same sort of thing. And it is just this guy trying to uncover this mass conspiracy that he's the only one that seems to believe actually yeah. is there. Wasn't it... Um... 
wasn't there another one? Was it like Skyfall or was it Quantum of Solace? There was another one that came out the same year as a Mission Impossible movie, but I'm I don't know which which it is. I don't I don't want to commit to an answer and be wrong there, but yeah, I know right. that like two of them like they they uh, coincided with each with two films. Right. Yeah. It uh, it could just be because of the nature of these films and because uh, the Mission Impossible seemed to take quite a long time between each one with the exception of this one to the next one it seems to take ages to actually make them it's like four to six years between each of them mm-hmm. so i don't uh, <laughs> i don't get what about these is it just because it's so reliant on tom cruise and he just it's reliant on him everything? doing his own damn stunts and he gets hurt every two seconds that fuckwad scientologist sorry all right i got it out of there uh it's out of my system now but <laughs> um yeah like, he's constantly hurt and having to recuperate so it takes forever to make him yeah there are probably multiple tom cruises <laughs> oh okay are we uh there's a race of tom cruises you don't know about. the prestige he's just in a cloning <laughs> exactly yep. he's just killing his clone every day yep that's right exactly <laughs> now you know the secrets of scientology <laughs> oh great yes oh, goody <laughs> I, I mean there had to be something right? either way yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right um well, I kind of want to hear what everyone's favorite thing about this film is before we start kind of diving into the sequelness of it all. <laughs> okay. okay. So, um, well, how about Brian? Then? Why don't you go for it? What, what was your favorite okay. thing about this film? Uh, are you looking for a specific moment or can it be uh, just I, like it, one one overall can, kind of thing? Yeah. It can be well, whatever can, you whatever you okay. found so that you like most. I'm going with Simon Page. Damn it! I know it. <laughs> See, you should have gone first. <laughs> I know. I figured um, we'd be the same. Though. He, he um, for me, just lifted this film out of its mediocrity for me uh, in like in every moment that he had. Uh, yeah. For me, it's a fairly mediocre action film, um, but he really shines in this. He is Scotty with spy gear, essentially. <laughs> um, you know, doing the same shtick, and it's great. It always works. Um, there is humor to be had in other places of the film, but it's uh, it's with him that it really shines, and yeah, he he just kills it every time out. So he, he kept me interested and kept me watching. Yeah, and, and then obviously I'll I'll say I completely agree. Every time he was on screen, like he was always. I mean, Simon Pegg, I feel, is just one of those people that is just inherently funny. I don't know. Yes. What like that? Not like you can define it, but he just has that aura about him. Like he is able to carry himself in a way that just makes it fun to watch and makes him funny whenever he's trying to land all these jokes. And I I enjoyed seeing him. I I basically just I want Simon Pegg to be the lead in one of these. Like maybe Ethan is missing for the entire film and he's finding him or something. Like so, he has to go undercover. Oh yeah, I, I, I like don't. That. That'd be nice, but I don't know if they'd ever go for it. Big, yeah, yeah. They probably would do it though, but they would only do it for maybe ten, fifteen minutes of the movie. I can see that maybe. Yeah, because they they are obviously banking on Tom Cruise as the lead. Yeah, so. they're banking on worldwide. Yeah, control. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, maybe one day he'll get his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right then. Well, yeah, we've had ours. So, uh, what about you then, Mister The Verne? What's Ooh. your favorite thing about this particular thing? About this particular chapter in the Mission Impossible franchise, gentlemen. Um, I actually like a lot of the overtopness of it. Like when they go to the opera and they have like a flute that can turn into a gun. I like the fact that in one part there's like one note that needs to be played. So I, they can shoot the gun or something. I, I like that. If I put, I know, I wrote a note on here too about that sequence, and I said this reminds me of the brown notes on a South Park episode. Oh, <laughs> I really thought that when they're gonna play that one note, mm-hmm. it was, the whole audience is gonna shit their pants. Um, <laughs> I, my favorite moment of this, besides you know the airplane sequence, is I like the sequence when you know he goes underwater. And has to try to retrieve keys to, so that Simon Page 
can get through the security checkpoints. Apparently, they put this big, huge, like, uh, computer system underwater. It's just so over the top and ridiculous. I mean, they could have kept the security at someone's house, but they had to put it underwater and have, like, these swinging uh, things that will keep hitting you. And... Yeah, it's like, we know this is going to get broken into at some point. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, that table over the top just right there, I, I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. What was the point in those arms? It's not like they were... Like, like everything in there <laughs> appeared to be like actual like profiles. So are they supposed to just like take them out of one slot and put them in another one? Like, is this... They were the fish feeders, and yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They'd been broken for some time. That's why we didn't see any fish. They're all dead. I don't know because they seemed quite useless, other than being an obstacle for Ethan. Yeah, Yeah. and and with the uh, the one note that kind of builds up to everything, I I definitely flash back to Eagle Eye. Where I don't know if you've seen Eagle Eye, but at the end of that, there's this one note that if it's played, it will blow up. Yes, uh, this tour group in the I think it's the chamber. Commerce or something. I, I don't remember where they are, but yeah. So I was like, oh, I guess they were a fan well, of that film. Another thing I like too is that even even in the beginning of the movie, when uh, Ethan Hunt goes to a record shop and you know he plays the record, finds out it's actually the syndicate who knows about the stolen package and whatnot there, and they trap him in this device. That has like a bunch of glass or gas brain everywhere. Don't you think that the girl that works at the record shop would know about that happening? Because there had been construction going on in a record shop. It just seems odd that the thing, this thing, this glass case comes down and traps them and sprays gas everywhere. Yeah, mm. I, I, the only thing I can think of is it. The guy in charge clearly goes off of like he even says human nature is his weapon of choice i get the feeling that he was using the elements that were already there against him so i feel like if anyone were to ever attempt to use the stuff that ethan was using and they're not supposed to that glass case would have come down and the knockout gas would have happened and so he's just using that against him as an extra little fuck you type thing yeah And that bad guy's voice, he has the most cliche, evil villain voice I have seen in the movie in a long time. He's like, Mr. Hunt, you will do exactly what I say to you. Is the, the whole delivery of his lines, I believe the actor's name is uh, Sean Harris. Yeah, he just has this very... I'm an evil guy that wants to control everything. You are my arch nemesis. Yeah, yeah it, it, even more of a bland sort of accent than the the villain in the last episode of season three of Sherlock, like uh, yeah. Magnuson, like that guy. I I always felt, despite how much I enjoy the series and I enjoy that episode for what it is, that he is very much just very plain talking and kind of boring if you actually think about it for any length of time. And then this guy turns up and was like. Wow, you're even more dull. <laughs> you could yeah, ham it up a bit. See, he's dull. No, I thought he did like ham it up a little bit much there. He's he speaks in a quiet, dull tone, but just his attitude just seems a little bit over the top. Not crazy over the top. It's still subdued, but it still feels a bit over the top, even for a, a Mission Impossible film. If that made sense. Uh, see, yeah. I don't know. I, I found him to be pretty bland as oh, far okay. as the villain goes. I, but I, like I, that hamburger, no bun kind of bland. But He's a bland guy. He speaks blandly, though. But just his... I don't know his motivations for revenge. You know, that's what the thing feels like. I, it's not yeah, it's never explained. Why that, see, that's the deep. my overarching kind of issue with a lot of these movies is that we don't have any incentive to care about the characters. And we don't know backstories or, you know, like, and I get it, though, because an action movie has to be fast paced, has to keep things moving. And so it can't take a whole lot of time with those exposition scenes. But I still need to know a little bit more about your background. Why do you think the way you think? Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, So it just leaves me wanting more. 
Well, good news in that front then, Brian. I don't know What's if you that? know about this, but uh, Solomon Lane will be back in Mission Impossible 6. So Ooh, goody. <laughs> maybe you'll get some of that backstory. <laughs> With equally boring glasses and yeah, equally boring delivery. Okay. And, and I have to say, when he first showed up, I kind of thought he looked a bit like Simon Pegg. So I was like, ooh, is Simon Pegg pulling a double roll in this mm-hmm. one? Is he going to pull uh, one of those uh, Aria masks off? Aria Spark masks off? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, look who it is this time. And, yeah. and even though I knew that it wasn't Simon Pegg, when they had the the scene where he's got Simon Pegg and he's like doing the the face-to-face type thing, it looked exactly like what you would do if one person was playing both roles. They are so far apart in the frame so that they can just do the split screen thing. So it was very weird to me. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional. They just were kind of screwing with people that noticed that sort of thing, but I, I don't know. I mean, they could have had Simon Pig do it. Why not? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I mean, if... they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Tatiana Maslany can do what she can do, Simon Bay can do two characters, yeah. right? So, yeah. Oh gosh, that reminds me of something now. I want to see a whole like Mission Impossible t- style movie uh, with Tatiana Osley from Orphan Black. I want to. I want an Orphan Black. I want. I want an Orphan Black movie. Oh well, yes, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, I definitely want an Orphan Black. Movie. That would be fantastic. Yes, way to get on board, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> right. I, way to throw the line. Way to throw the company line. Thank you. Exactly. Yes, I heartily support this uh, this movie and or mm-hmm. product. Um, we can but, count on your support. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, so obviously, that us in a roundabout way saying the things that we liked about this film, but. Uh, yeah, I think we need to really get into because our our point with these is that when you just get sequel after sequel after sequel, it's just a formula that is always followed, and it's always how do we get one over on the last film? And this film not only does it conform as much to the formula of this type of film as I've almost ever seen before, but also I don't think it does go bigger than the last film which is weird because <laughs> yeah and i can't speak to that having not seen uh, uh ghost protocol so yeah, yeah. well you you saw uh, obviously in this one you have uh you have mr baldwin talking about and here's the kremlin before they got there and here's the kremlin mm-hmm. after they got there and it genuinely is that i believe it's a ballistic missile and it was that... the biggest inauguration ever look at the picture this missile that just completely destroys the kremlin it just it, mm-hmm. and there's nothing on that scale here it's just i think like outside of the bad guys getting killed there's what six deaths I yeah, mean, maybe ten if you count all the people that might have been in the car. It's, it's not exactly, uh, like, you know, There's... high stakes really if you think about it. Yeah, really no, I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, they're, so... they're really, I mean, the the fourth one had him climbing up top of the most tower, the tallest uh, skyscraper in Dubai by himself, yeah. right there. Um, even the first one, there was nice high states about him busting into that computer facility and have to basically not touch anything. He had a parachute down and hit by a wire. Um, I, I find it funny, too, that it took up until the fourth movie for him to have a team again. Because in the first movie, uh, there's a team, and I'm ready to have spoilers here for people who have not seen the first one, but his team gets killed off. Uh and he, he finds out that it was a uh, complete uh, double cross of, you know, government bosses right there. But he's basically without a team. And he rebuilds it a little bit, but then one of his team members turns out to be a traitor, so only has just one person on his team. The second movie, it's just Tom Cruise. I mean, he's doing the whole, you know, James Bond, action hero. He's going to solve everything himself, all right? There's no other personalized team except for Vin Rames who was in the first movie he shows up in the second one um, I think it was like the third one that introduces uh, Simon Page but they never they use him a little bit though but he doesn't really become he doesn't become part of the team 
and until the fourth one. So I find it, I found it to be kind of odd that it took that long for you know an actual team to get uh, uh, you know established for the movie. Yeah, it, um, I, I I remember in the second one it's that he is entirely by himself, and then in the fourth one, it, they make a big deal about the fact that he is building this team out of them. So obviously, not having seen the first one, I didn't quite understand what they were going for there. When it comes to the team in this one, it really is he starts out with a team, then he doesn't have a team, then he does yeah, have a team, but then it's just the three of them again, and then there's him at the end. So it's like, uh, okay, do you want him to have a team, or do you not want oh. him to have a team? What's going on? Either either the team dies, or like in the fourth one, they get disavowed, and now it's just Tom Cruise trying to clear everyone's name, and he'll pick a few people from the team. Because I may be wrong, because, you know, uh, Brian, you're more familiar with the TV show, and the TV show, each character in there, you know, they all work together as a team. It's not just one person so they each have no it, it's, it's more built on like the a-team structure or you yeah know, like yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. oh, where they all I... play a role or oceans 11 or anything yeah it's a, a team component not not the single hero yeah okay and i feel like in the mission possible movies uh even though it is a team element at the end of the day it's still tom cruise as ethan mm-hmm. hunt doing all the biggest stuff to save the day all right. I mean, but yeah, he's one, a he's a bond. Yeah, yeah. Like they'll have like one character do something, you know, important, but then they're never seen from again for a while. They, yeah, they almost it, feel like plot MacGuffins. They're like a way for the plot to advance forward. Yeah, right? pretty much. And it, I don't know if you think about it, but all of the the big moments in this film are centered almost solely around Ethan specifically doing one thing. He's the one that jumps into the cooling system thing. He's the one that memorizes all of the data on that stick at the end. So like, <laughs> he's sacrifices. He's kind of sacrificing himself. Like, yeah, he's the one that is going deep undercover for several months, trying to hide from the CIA. Like, it's, it, it really is. Oh, look at this team film around this guy and some others. Like, it's this. <laughs> This is to show you how great Scientology is. This is the idea. Okay, so, all right, stop, <laughs> stop, stop. It's not great. It's not great. It's awful. Stop. <laughs> if you're if you're a Scientologist, you can jump into pools of water. You can have, you can have these great chases on motorcycles. Mm-hmm. You stay young yeah. forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fucking best. <laughs> sorry, I, I I said it just to rise out of you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> totally not a cult. Nothing to see here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all yeah. cult. <laughs> oh, it is a total cult. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 just look at the puppy. Yeah, and the other thing that I, I mean, obviously there's suspension of disbelief when it comes to these sorts of films. Like, uh, like Jane Bond, there's always four or five gadgets that uh, Q has dreamt up and there'll be like the optical camouflage on the car or he'll have a watch that will f- like fire a dart at someone that will incapacitate them. But this film really goes a little on <laughs> too far with this sort of thing. They've got guns that shoot truth serum slash... Well, they uh, shoot corsages. They shoot prom corsages that... <laughs> which were hitting all in them. Land apparently. perfectly in your left lapel and then also make you tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, like, you're extremely susceptible and tell the truth. You've got that little ring thing that perfectly fits over the uh, the the dial so that you can automatically crack any code on that one. You've got the... Oh, yes, the uh, door has... unlock thing that fits over any lock yeah. and immediately unlocks the pins. Yeah, on a suit that has zero metal, better than mine, mm-hmm. zero metal. Yeah. It has an electronic display which lets you know exactly how much oxygen you have in your system. Zero yeah. metal, right? Yep, yeah. we're with you. Doesn't your suit do that? Um, uh, car no. ID by putting your hand on the window. Yeah. Yeah, but it, there's so, so much suspension of disbelief when it comes to. Uh, it's not just this film. They do have some out there gadgets and some of the others, but 
specifically this film they and then the really... i'm sorry can i the masks i hate the masks like oh let's look how shitty this mask like kind of looks like this person but then we look in the mirror and oh it's that person <laughs> oh get the fuck out of here with that like it, it, it's a mole it will look like a mask okay it doesn't you cannot get it to look exactly like a human being uh, and then yeah. to do the accent, it, it's it's Game of Thrones shit. It's yeah, it's um, you get the voice, you get the body posture, everything with that mask. That's the type of over the top craziness that I kind of enjoy about <laughs> the series. Right there, even from the first movie, the first movie there was thing with the mask, and it seems, especially towards the end of the movie, when I think it was like the prime minister or someone took off the mask. And it is like Tom Cruise, like the hell were you there the whole time? Like this was never really explained. It's just it's complete BS. But I kind of enjoy the BS a little bit. Well, well, that's the thing. I'm perfectly willing to, like I said, with Bond, you've got four or five little things, or like you know, maybe one big thing in it, like three or four little things that you kind of go, okay, I'll buy it, and then yeah, you know, it'll come back. But in this, there's just loads there's way too many things so you just go okay sure yeah you've got you've got a car window that can identify you by your palm print you've got amazing holograms really as you actually think about it the hologram technology in this world is fantastic uh all of the safe cracking stuff it, it, it i think it's too many things now maybe i'm forgetting some of them from previous series and they're just, and they are just building on it but like it was a like too much of a dump. Yeah, you can't go to the DXX knocking a pool too often because it just <laughs> like no, because obviously yes, when we watch Bond or Mission Impossible, we know if we're being seen a device or shown a device, we know it's going to be used at some point because there's no point having obviously you know Chekhov's done whatever, yeah. but um, it's just like you're saying, Paul DeRiter, it's it's just too much. They they need to compensate a little bit more of a story and less with. 5,000 gadgets. Yeah, or or maybe even just have a couple of them like, misfire, and then they have to Exactly, show us something different. That's what I wrote down, like, there is nothing new or original in this. It's, it's the same thing, over. This almost feels like a return to the older Bond movies before Daniel Craig. Am I wrong in assuming that? It just feels like these, these feel yeah, like that. Definitely the Pierce Brosnan era. Yes, I was going to say. Yeah, these definitely feel like that type of era of Bond films. And I've got to say, I, I, I kind of been. This is going to sound controversial, I know, but I kind of prefer these over the Daniel Craig Bond. Oh, I, well, okay. given your particular take on uh, the Mission Impossible franchise, I can I can see what you're talking about there. Then. Yeah, you, you would be drawn to that. Like, kind less gritty side definitely daniel craig took it in uh, well daniel craig and the team that made those ones they took it back to the grassroots he is he is a spy whereas the like the pierce brosnan bonds he's a spy but that doesn't mean he can't have fun like yeah so and i i kind of enjoy that little fun element a little bit that are in these movies like even though uh they've been disavowed and you know there's sequences where they most likely could be killed they, they can still have fun once in a while there and i yeah I'm, I'm i'm kind of a sucker for i like you know i admit that the uh the recent uh, general daniel craig bond films they have a much more of a complex plot and i can enjoy them but a lot of the times I just wanted to pop in something that's just simple, easy to follow, you know. Even though I will admit I think Skyfall is probably the best one out of that whole series and I think that movie's an amazing movie in it by itself there. I can never get into Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace, but I really enjoy the hell out of Skyfall. I uh, didn't much care for Spectre. Mm. I know I will try and watch them again back to back, but as far as I know, most of the franchise of Mission Impossible, I mean, they've been fun. The second one is the really low point of the whole series because that one really wanted to, that one really wanted to strive too much to be a Bond film. Like that one and number three as well. Uh, three had the ass bonus about ha- 
three have as bonus of having uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the bad guy. If he wasn't in that movie, I really wouldn't care. I mean, d- despite the fact that I had Michelle Monaghan and as his girlfriend, um, but yeah, I, I I think it's kind of weird too that despite him having like uh, different bad guys, uh, he also has a different girl, just like Bond does, you know, and he's gotta do that as well. It's it, it's the sort of thing you see in any of these uh, spy action franchises, and yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, if you enjoyed Michelle Monaghan in three, uh, she's back in the next one too. She is. Oh yeah. no, she is. All right. Yeah, she's, oh. she's back as his wife, as far as I know. I'm just basing on the name that I saw when I was looking it up. So, All right. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like, maybe she'll be divorcing him because he has been interacting with uh, other people in this, in his line of work. I don't know. <laughs> interacting, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Although I will say, I I did kind of appreciate. That despite the fact that they very very clearly wanted you to think there was something there, there there's no like payoff of any kind. Uh, you know, I yeah, give credit where does... credits do. I will give you know applauded for not doing the uh, obligatory like post coital scene or whatever. You know, like yeah, because that gets so old. Yeah, and uh, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say when it comes to this film was uh, so obviously the bad guy is then dispatched in the same way he dispatched Ethan Hunt at the beginning and then he just kicks the thing over. So uh, <laughs> he's just having fun right there. But and, and I was reading like this is the I, I believe correct me if I'm wrong there the burn because you've seen more of these than I have, but um the only time that a villain has not been killed in the Mission Impossible world. At least in these set of Tom Cruise movies. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, the second the one the second one gets killed. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, I, uh, yeah. Please, yeah, because it was like uh, John Voight in the first one mm-hmm. is shot, and uh, Douglas Amphrey the second one uh, is thrown off something. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, definitely, Philip Seymour Hoffman gets killed, and the third one. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right. They actually do actually capture this guy. Um, yeah, they just capture him like a wild raccoon and just, boop, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Animal Control's got him now. Take him away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, apparently the floor of the thing is it's got like a one-way valve on it or something because how does none of the gas come straight out yeah. once yeah. he tipped it over? Um, also, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you noticed this, Paul. Like he's firing that gun. We see no shells leave that gun. We see no bullets bounce off of the glass or embed in the glass. Yeah, it is yeah. a very powerful air gun, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he, he's just firing bullet after bullet, which crack the like it doesn't even crack the glass. So either what happens is they immediately flatten and just fall to the ground which you don't even hear a chink or anything like that uh-huh. yeah the, the nut- but you don't hear yeah you never hear any casings leave, you never see any casings leave the gun yeah so yeah. Like, come on that's a pretty big oversight but <laughs> i mean maybe he's got a special gun maybe maybe, maybe his gun is actually a flute like he's got the opposite. <laughs> yes. Some sort of sound my real waves. gun <laughs> yes my real gun is a flute yes, <laughs> yeah and, uh, can, uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, gentlemen, here. Can we talk a little bit about the girl in this, uh, Elsa Fultz? I, yeah. I never really quite understood that character because she first meets Ethan Hunt in this prison because at the start of the movie, uh, he gets captured and is put underground, and she helps rescue him. But then you find out that she's actually working for the bad guy. Um, I believe his name was uh, was that what's that guy's name again? Someone, uh, Lon- Lane. Lane. Sorry. So she's working for the bad guy, and then you find out that she's working for British intelligence. But then that just seems to be rude because she actually still working for the bad guy. But no, she actually is still working for the good guys. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I. I felt like her character, the way they kind of switched things back and forth, was both fun and also a little bit distracting. Mm. I, I, for one, was not really shocked about the whole double agent aspect. That's kind okay. of a stick with these. Okay. Um, and they I was just waiting for it. Yeah, so I don't know how Paul felt. Yeah, but 
it, it seemed like going one on top of the other. I, I, I much rather have her be a double agent and have her just be a bad guy. But it, it, the way they kind of switched but yeah, back going back and forth, back and forth, yeah, was really kind of bothersome to me. You know? mm-hmm. Like the fact too, like you know, I kind of understand too after she did get the device after okay after he's in the pool and he drowns and he gets revived. You know, she steals it. They have a huge uh, bike car chase sequence down the road because in action movies, you got to have a car chase no matter what. So mm-hmm. that seems like the perfect time, or it seems like the perfect excuse to put a car chase in there. They always made this girl be the bad person that they now have to chase after. Um, and then she meets up with her boss from British Intelligence, and you find out, oh, well, she's just a good person who's obviously has to do this job. But now it turns out that she still has to work for the bad guys to kill Ethan Hunt. So I'm like, wait, is she still part of the bad team, even though it was the good team before telling her? I don't know who she, this girl is anymore. But I'll, I will say this, though. During that whole sequence of uh, Tom Cruise and Salmon Page chasing her down the streets and everything, there's a moment when, and I'm pretty sure Tom Cruise, for some reason, leaves the car and he's on a bike. Stop me if I'm wrong, but he's chasing after her and he sees her. He sees her standing right there and he freaks out and can't control the bike anymore. I mean, this guy was going through city streets and going in between cars and doing all this Tom Cruise foodness right there. Um, but for some reason, he sees this girl just standing there and he literally couldn't just do like. Uh, jump off the motorcycle. I know he's jumped off the motorcycle in number two. All right, I know there's a sequence <laughs> where he jumps off a motorcycle and heads into the bad guy. So I know he's done it before in another movie. He could have easily done it with this one, and he doesn't do it. It just really bothered my mind. I, I seriously had to stop the movie and like rewind it back and like, what? Why do you get distracted when you see your girl standing there, Tom? I, I think this is some just like low key like misogyny stuff, or it's just like. I can't injure the pretty girl, like you know, like and she knows that. Is that's it, why she did it. Well, like, he, but he, 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 he got feelings. He's caught feelings. Whatever they want to say, or however you want to say it, like he he won't risk any injury to me. So okay. yeah, he'll dump the bike. Well, he, it's, it's, the, it, wait, uh, is misogyny not to hit a girl, or misogyny to <laughs> hit a girl? I mean, I don't know. It's. I mean, I mean, she's yeah. Tomato, tomato. But it, it, it's just yeah. It, the, the, I'm talking about how the, the film plays it out. But okay. yeah. Um, well, and then also, it's, like, okay, yeah. you don't want to ram your bike into the person. Here's a thought: yeah. don't drive past, put the brakes on, turn around, come back. Like you know, they need to go. Well, I guess I better jump off this bike now. Here's the yeah. dirt. Whee! It's just. It yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> okay. sad. Sorry, it was yeah, about it was course. just a you know a weird little bit. Which yeah, once I was over, I didn't give it much more thought. But. <laughs> um, okay, but, but yeah. So if if uh, Michelle Monaghan's coming back in the next one here, I wonder how this girl will fit into. Because I'm pretty sure she'll make an appearance, right? They'll maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I, I felt... Well, she does say, you know how to find me. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I felt as though they were it's... leaving it kind of well wrapped up. Like, even though it's like, you know where to find me, but it's like, do we need to? Really? I mean, we really, I don't expect these sort of characters to carry over. I mean, if they do, that's fine, but I certainly don't expect it. So... Yeah. I, I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if she did, but I also wouldn't be looking forward to it. You know, I, like I... Yeah, I'm kind of shocked when you said that uh, the Lane uh, character will appear in the next one too. Because I I just assumed that he'll be put next to the Ark of the Covenant in the Bidwell House. <laughs> uh, like I, top man. Again, I, I they might even be going the Spectre route, and he'll just be like, well, I say Spectre route, also Hannibal Lecter, just be in a giant case by himself, just in the middle of the room. They'll just go in the door. <laughs> room. I mean, I hope not, but. Uh, what well, they borrow from other stuff? Why not borrow from that as well? Do you hear the lambs, Ethan Hunt? <laughs> it'd be more. It'd be more dull than that. Do you hear the lambs, or I don't. And they just go no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say yes. All right. Uh, well, I I think we've 
this is actually one of the best episodes I think for us pointing out exactly what we hate about these sorts of sequels when it comes to (laughs) it's just Mm -hmm. really this one was following the formula and didn't even follow the typical version of the formula like obviously you can have fun with this type of film and we found we each found at least one thing to enjoy about it but I I do think they need to like keep ramping it up and they just didn't with this one no, they had, a, and, they had a high so. point with number four, but then they're afraid. Well, shoot, we're doing five right now. You know, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and recite one of those old Bond movies. We'll do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's... And I just wanted to say, like, this is a franchise I am loath to defend, but credit where credit is due. Once again, the Fast and the Furious franchise has embraced the lunacy and amps it up every damn time. They know it's absurd. <laughs> But they just live with it. Like, yes, they're superheroes that drive really fast cars and bullshit happens. And they just escalate and escalate. And this just kind of seems to ride a middle ground. At least this film. Yeah. Where I, I didn't feel like you either have to build a realistic world or and, or start to lean into that absurdity. And I don't feel like, I, I felt like they rode that middle ground way too, way too hard. Yeah, it, it didn't quite do that. Formula, right? Yeah. I, and I think the best example of that is probably the the car when they crashed the car. Oh lord! But see, they had airbags, Paul. It, it did. <laughs> airbags saves all. <laughs> you see them inside the car, and it's like, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, and then you the camera cuts to outside the car. You go, bang, 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 bang. It's like, oh, okay. Apparently, it picked up speed after it started crashing. Uh, all right. <laughs> Because yeah. cars do that now, all right? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's yeah, a special it, feature you can get, okay? <laughs> it had little rockets on the underside. Same. I will also say, Paul, did uh, we didn't we need to give a brief shout-out to the uh, Monty Python homage yeah. to Chancellor. <laughs> yes, calling it only a flesh wound. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> okay, I, I, I would be remiss to not bring that up when I podcast with him. So, yes, I, I don't think I picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but it was. Uh, I, I did kind of smile a little bit at that line, but, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and then it was yeah. back to the kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. yeah. But well. here's here's another weird thing too about the whole double cross, triple cross thing. There that I mentioned earlier. Um, so basically, the uh, what's her name now? Um, the the girl, the main girl in this, it was her boss. That you know basically was the whole syndicate. Like he created the syndicate and framed her for it. Am I wrong? That whole assumption right there. He he wasn't framing her for it, but he was basically just kind of hoping that no one would find out about it. I think so. Like he was erasing the data on there. He was letting the Solomon use her to yeah. get rid of other people that would prove that 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 Solomon exists. So like, he was just like, oh, I hope it all goes away. I think that's, so he was just like, he was not only lazy, but just bad at his job. Okay. Is what that right, Okay. <laughs> so, but um, it's, it's one of those things that you see in sequels too, about always like some sort of like big government bureaucrats was the bad guy all along. And he was controlling, you know, the other henchmen right there. Cause we really don't know what Solomon Lane's, we know he's one of the Syndicate guys, but we don't know his relationship to these other characters until at the very last second, that bad guy explains, well, he was working for me the whole time. You know, he's part of my team and all that shit. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think actually the start of this conversation illustrates perfectly just how much this is a formulaic film. Can you name any character that was introduced in this film other than Solomon Lane? Like, right now, without looking it up, can you give names of anyone? Because it's like, oh, yeah, that girl who is the main guy, and then there was that guy who's the chief of something. What was his name? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I was the actor's name. Like, well, Alec Baldwin was a guy that wanted to uh, basically, you know, remove the whole IMF. Mm-hmm. But what was his name? I don't... Alec Baldwin. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this film doesn't make you care enough about yeah. that. And, just... and then the script just drops his names in later like you should know or care. Um, I do... Okay, Benji. I remember Benji, uh, Simon Page's yeah. character's name. Yes, but he's been yeah. there for three but That's films. an established character, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. 
Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah. uh, well, t- I think, uh, obviously, we've we got to kind of wrap this up now, uh, both for time for the listener and time for ourselves as well. But uh, mm-hmm. we need to uh, pick the next film for us to vote on. I've already written down my number, so I can't be accused of looking at the list and changing my mind. Uh, but uh, I'm going to take a number between 1 and 10 from both of you, and then we will figure out what the next uh, roll call will be for the film. So, uh, so I, I think that's the number between 1 and 10? Yeah, any number between 1 and 10 inclusive. Okay, all right, I got it. Okay, go ahead. What do you got? Uh, six. Six. All right, one, two, three, four, six. All right. <laughs> So the first one is the Pokemon franchise. Oh, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> well, nope. let's, well, let's see, shall we? Um, Brian, um, what's yours? Four. Four. One, two, three, four. And then Shrek. So this could be interesting. And uh, I, I guess Shrek. Yeah. And I already wrote down the number six. So one. Two, three, I, four, five, six. Child. Please. I may have to invoke veto power. <laughs> you think? <laughs> okay, well, all right. I don't know. I okay. mean, if you give me one a year, I might have to use it on that. All right, tell you what. Um, do you want to go up or down one without telling you what they are? So, up. Up, all right. In that case, cross that out. Then the final list is Child's Play, Shrek, and Planet of the Apes. So, okay, I can live with that, I think. <laughs> all right, but Pokemon is now still in play for later episodes, so... Oh, that's not... Those aren't movies, Paul. Those, <laughs> no. no. No, we need to have this conversation offline. Is, those are not movies. All right, Taylor, I, I will erase that from the list. That one is good. I will let you have I did not clear this list. I did not know. <laughs> all right, so yes, I will... Uh, I'll get that. Gotta get him. Gotta, gotta get him. Pokemon. <laughs> no. uh, that actually kind of hurt because I used to be a fan of the franchise and it's got to catch him all. <laughs> Gotta get him. <laughs> right. well, we'll find you a Pokemon podcast to go on. I choose, not you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well... Thank you very much, Mr. The Vern, for coming on. Uh, yes. Main great. man, V-R-N. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Paul and Brian. Appreciate it. Oh, no Absolutely. So, so why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs? Okay. Well, it's good that you said the interwebs and not, you know, my personal space home, which yeah. is just fine. Uh, I'll give you my address if you really want it. Uh, but no, you can find me on the interwebs. I host the Film Pasture. You can find that on wherever you stream your podcast shows. But mainly that's on the largeassmovieblogs.com. It's part of the large association of movie, blo- of movie blogs. That's where you can find the Film Pasture, as well as iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, Podomatic. Um, I'm also one of the hosts of the Cinema Recall podcast. And you can find that on the site, thatmomentin.com, as well as Stitcher, Podomatic, iTunes, um, and also SoundCloud. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Video Vanguard, but that's V-A-N-G-A-U-R-D. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I believe that's it. Film Pastures on Twitter. We are at uh, Film Pasture. Just look us up there. We have a Facebook page. Just type in Film Pasture. Um, I, that's it for me. You can check out my site where I write reviews. That is uh, the Verns, or sorry, videovortex.wordpress.com. It is the Verns Video Vortex. Uh, check that out. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of it for my plugs right now. Uh, I always, yeah. All right. Um, well, thank again. Thanks for coming on and telling everyone where they can find you. And hopefully, everyone listening to this does at least check one of those out. If not, because I was uh, talking about the Fifth Element with you, yes, uh, not too recently. Check, definitely check out you know Paul's Despot on the Cinema Recall podcast. Uh, you can find that on Twitter as well at at that moment in. Um, if you type into your search bar Cinema Recall podcast, you'll see it come up in your search engine, and you'll click the link for one of them, 
and there's gonna be a link to other ones. But yeah, he's he was on the show uh, talking about the Fifth Element, uh, about Ruby Rod, and the <laughs> Diva sequence in there. And I I enjoyed having very jealous. Yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic movie. All right, all right. Well, obviously that was it from Laverne, and that is it from us too. So I've been Paul. I've been Brian. Yeah, I'm Vern. Done. Bye 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 b